house. How are you guys doing? I'm up here. Hi. So this morning is probably as a pastor. Today we are going to celebrate baptisms. And um, for those of you who aren't familiar with them, baptism, there's nothing magical about baptism. We are not saved because we're baptized. Baptism is simply a public declaration of an internal decision that's taken place quite a while before for many of the people who are going to be baptized today. It's a, it's a public declaration that for better or for worse, I am committing my entire life to follow Jesus Christ, not only as my Savior, not only as the person who saves me from the brokenness of my life, but also as my Lord, the one that I say, have your way with me, I submit my life. I mean, if you want a, an analogy from the regular world, think of baptism as, as a wedding, the day when you put your wedding ring on and you say, I do, I commit my life to following to being with this person the rest of my life. And um, we get to celebrate with four of our family members today who are making that public declaration. So I want to introduce you to um, our first two, Jeannie and Charlie Massingale. So if you want to make them feel comfortable. Now, I've had the opportunity of knowing Jeannie and Charlie probably for the last six or seven years. I, I got to help tutor both of their boys as they were going through high school. Um, but a year ago, Easter, Jeannie and Charlie walked into the church just going, hey, let's go check out this church down the street. And um, it just gives me so much joy to see them. I, don't, I can't think of any two people who have become as, as importantly ingrained into this church family as these two. And so it's... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And it's with a lot of joy that um, I get to participate in this because I feel like this is part of my family. And, and so what I would love to ask you guys, because I, I, I want to give you the opportunity to share a little bit about the journey that's led up to today. Would you tell us a little bit about why do you want to be baptized and why today? It's been a long, slow process for me. I was really stubborn for the first 63 years of my life. I didn't really have the Lord in my, in my daily life. And so um, I was fortunate to have a group of um, women that I went to Bible study with and um, grew in that. And then, um, as Eric mentioned, Easter last year, Charlie and I decided to come to Lighthouse and we felt so welcome. This is the most incredible group of people, and it's my new family. And I can't be happier and more welcomed in this. So my, my desire today is to, is to thank God for his patience with me and to have my public declaration <laughs> that this is what I want for the rest of my life and also to... Um, to tell my husband that I am so blessed that um, we are on this same path together. Mm -hmm. Because so many times, one family member finds God and the other one doesn't. And for us to be on this journey at the same time, I cannot imagine a better life than this. <laughs> How about you, Charlie? And I have to go after that. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's funny, I'm going to start crying here in a minute. I'm Good. so happy to be part of this church. 
And I, I don't know if this is accurate, but it's, I think people were born with a missing piece of the puzzle. And we could fill that piece with hatred or anger or drugs or alcohol or numerous negative things. Or you could fill it with Jesus Christ and God. And that's the piece that's supposed to fit there. And I think that's what I've discovered coming here to Lighthouse and my small group and, and um, that that piece fit perfectly. And I couldn't be happier. I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life. Thank you. All right, here comes the fun part. I know, now you're going to get my hair wet. <laughs> That's right, it looks great. For now. <laughs> so, so, Jeannie, do you recognize that um, you want Jesus to be more than just your Savior, but that you want him to be the Lord of your life? Absolutely. And do you commit to following him for the rest of your life, to the best of your ability? Yes. All right. Well, then it's my honor. slightly younger girl with me here today. Her name is Noelle, and she's going to sing a brand new song, okay, and not specifically to you, but in her heart to the Lord in recognition of what he's done and what he's doing. So I'm going to ask her a few simple questions, because she obviously doesn't want to talk as much as some of the old ones may have wanted to. Noelle, have you given your life to Christ? Yes. Do you believe that he is the Son of God? Do you believe that he forgave your sins as a result of his death on the cross? Well, upon that simple confession of faith, that recognition of what he's done and what he's going to continue to do, I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried into Christ, raised to walk in his life. Yeah! <laughs> Mom's on the other side and they're crying and having a great time. It wasn't that long ago that her mother was baptized here. Her picture's in the back there. You can see her all wet and pretty. And It's a wonderful thing to watch families as they one by one come to a recognition of who God is and how he can work in their lives. Now, Justin is a young man who's been with us for, how long have you been here at the church? About two years. About two years. Justin is a little bigger than Noel. <laughs> He's a little bigger than me. 
But he comes today in recognition of what God has done in his life. We got a chance to share, and I'm excited about his ability to declare his faith. But I'm going to ask him simple words as well. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he died for your sins? Completely. Well, because of that recognition and that desire that you proclaim that you want to give your life totally to him, you're going to live for him from this day forward. So I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried in the Christ. Raised to walk in his life. Yeah! All right. Go ahead and get started. Well, over the last several weeks, we've been um, exploring the Ten Commandments and really asking the question, what bearing do these have on our lives today? And um, today we're going to look at the Fourth Commandment, which is one of the least popular ones, especially in a society in which we are constantly being told we have to run faster, climb higher, and all that kind of stuff. So if you would, we have the verse from Ephesians, or, uh, Exodus 20 on the board. Can we throw that up here? And let's just read this together. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. It's interesting because this is the commandment that Jesus came into the most conflict about with the, the religious leaders and Pharisees of his day. They were constantly harping on him about the fact that he seemed to be so lax about keeping the Sabbath and he would often heal on the Sabbath. And they were just, they came down on him going, why don't you respect the Sabbath? So much so that some modern scholars actually suggest that this is the one commandment of all 10 that was not renewed or was not um, reestablished in the New Testament. Because so many of these commandments, Jesus restated, Jesus reapplied, Jesus said, you've heard it said this, but I say even more than that, go beyond that. And, and, and some scholars would suggest, well, this, this one really doesn't have a whole lot of bearing on our lives. And this morning, I want to explore that. What bearing, if any, does the Sabbath have on our lives? But before we get there, there there's really three things we want to do today. First is I'd like to go back and ask the question, what was the Sabbath originally intended to be? Why was it instituted by God? Where did it come from? Secondly, we're going to look at the way that the religious leaders of Jesus' day completely misunderstood and misapplied the Sabbath and made it something it was never intended to be. And then after we've done that, we'll explore what does it mean to us today. Okay? Okay? All right. <laughs> Go with me to Genesis chapter 2. Right at the beginning of your Bible. It's probably page two. It is for me. Unless you have one of those study Bibles or something, in which case it's page like 423 or something like that. All right. In the, the book of Genesis, particularly the first two chapters of it, 
paint the picture of God creating, speaking the world into existence. And he's, he's like this artist who, you know, he kind of puts the sky together and, and, and the sea together and he steps back and goes, ooh, that's good, I like that. And then he, and he comes over here and he makes some land and he, and he brings the fish and the birds and he steps back and goes, that's good. And over and over he's, he's speaking the world into existence, bringing order out of the chaos. And then we see at the, at the very beginning of verse 2, after six days of this creation, the heavens and the earth were completed in all of their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested or he ceased from all of his work. The Sabbath, the word Sabbath literally means to cease or to rest. And we say that on the seventh day, God chose to cease from his work because he was finished. And so now he was going to just step back and enjoy it and begin to interact with it. Then God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy or set it apart. That's what the word holy means is other or set apart. He made it holy because he rested from all of his work of creation that he had done. And so the Sabbath is instituted. It's interesting that this passage that we just read from um, Exodus, when God is handing down the, com- the commandments to the Israelites, when he says to Sabbath, he points to this act of creation. And it goes beyond simply the fact that he chose to, to rest on the seventh day. I mean, he's God. It's not like he needed to rest, but he was modeling it. But it goes beyond simply that because the, the reason he points to it is to remind the Israelites of who they are and who he is. In pointing to the creation story, he says, listen, I'm God. I'm the one who created the heavens and everything in it. I am the sustainer of everything that you know. You are not. I am God. You are not. I am in control of creation. You are not. So stop trying to be. Stop trying to be in control. Stop trying to play God. Stop trying to be enough and rest in me. Six days of the week you can work and you can... You can bring order out of the chaos. But on the seventh day, I want you to stop and remember who I am and who you are in light of me. You're my child. You're not defined by what you do. Your rest is not found through your own strength. Your rest is found through my strength. So that's the the point of God pointing back to the creation narrative as he's giving out the commandments. Now go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's the fifth book of the Bible. It goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is the last of what the Israelites would call the Torah or the, the, the teaching. And it's in it, Moses, who's this guy that God kind of singles out and says, I want you to lead my people out of slavery in Egypt. And I want you to lead them into the land that I've promised to give them. Moses realizes he's at the end of his life and the people are about to enter into the promised land. And so in in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he begins to remind them of of the covenant that they'd made with God. And so he he goes back through this Decalogue, these Ten Commandments. And we're just going to read verse 12 of or a couple of verses in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy or set apart as the Lord your God has commanded you on six days you shall labor and do all of your work but the seventh day is a Sabbath a day of rest or a day of ceasing to the Lord your God and that's an important part I want to highlight right there both in the Exodus passage and in this passage it's a Sabbath not just a day off but it is a Sabbath to the Lord it's a day 
of connecting and reorienting your life around him. We're going to explore that in a little bit. Let's keep reading. But it's more than just a day off. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. This is not a commandment that is simply to be kept by the spiritual or the socially elite. This is for everybody. From the masters on down to the servants, even the livestock, everybody is in need of a rest. And God doesn't treat anybody with partiality and say, well, you get to rest, but you don't. And then I want us to notice he now is going to give the reasoning or the kind of the rationale behind why they should observe the Sabbath. And remember back in Exodus, what is it that he pointed towards as the reason for them taking the Sabbath? Good. I'm glad that we're listening. It was the creation narrative. Remember, he says, remember, in six days I created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day I rested. You too need to rest. Here, however, we see that Moses points to a different part of the history or the the Israelites' relationship with their God. He says, this is verse 15, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So rather than pointing towards the creation narrative, he points towards their redemption out of slavery. Why? Because for 400 plus years, the Israelites had suffered as slaves under the hand of Pharaoh. And slaves don't get days off. Free people do. And God is, or Moses is reminding them, listen, your identity is no longer as a slave. Because of what God has done in your life, you are free. So act like it. Don't work seven days a week. Don't allow yourself to be enslaved again. Don't bend a knee to new modern pharaohs in your life. Don't allow your own internal need to to accomplish something or, you know, keep up with or even surpass the Joneses. Or, you know, don't feel like the anxiety or the fear that's within you gets to dictate your choices. Don't allow your finances or your need to make a name for yourself be your master. You are free, not because of something you've done, but because of something I've done. So practice resting. Remember that your identity is not what you do. Your identity is found in me. Because I'll admit, many of us are driven by this innate fear that if we stop, even for a minute, it's all going to come crashing down around us. Or that somebody else who's trying a little bit harder is going to pass us and get in front of us and then we're going to be behind and we're going to have to play catch up. And so we rush and we strive. And the Sabbath is more than just a day of saying rest, take a day off. The Sabbath is more than even just remember who I am in your life coming from God. It is a day to remember who we are and what he's done in our lives. We are freed children of God. Our identity is not found in what we do, but in what he's done for us. This was the heartbeat of the Sabbath. It was a gift, not an obligation. And yet, between that time when they go into the the promised land and when Jesus came on the scene, the fourth commandment really um, got buried 
for a couple of reasons. You see, there was a group of people, the religious leaders and the Pharisees, who were in charge of keeping the, the, the law of Moses in the front of the people and helping them understand the heartbeat of it. And these guys, the Pharisees, were zealous about keeping the law for one very good reason. They recognized that the, the Roman occupation that was taking place... Remember, this is, the Bible is not written in a vacuum. It's not something that just fell out of heaven. The Bible was written in, inside of a cultural context. And for the Pharisees, their cultural context is, we are living in the promised land. God is our God, and yet we are under the, the, the thumb of a Roman occupier. This can't be. God, when will you release us from this servitude? And they truly, honestly believed that if they could get all of the Israelites, all of Israel, to keep all 613 commandments, rules, and regulations that were found in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, if they could get all of Israel to keep that even for a minute, then God would send his Messiah, his anointed Redeemer, to come and throw off Rome and reestablish Israel as the preeminent nation in the world. That's what they believed. And that's why they were so zealous about keeping the law why they were so legal-minded. We need to help everybody be able to follow the law. So here's what they came up with. Here's the best way we can do it. 613 rules seems like a lot, but let's add to that. Let's come up with another 1,500 rules that we can kind of use to build fences around each of the laws so that any God-fearing Jew who's willing to listen won't even be able to get close enough to the edge to fall off. Let's keep them so back, far away from breaking the rules that they'll never even get close to it. So they take the fourth commandment. Honor the, you know, do not do any work on the Sabbath day. And they go, well, what constitutes work? Well, you, you probably shouldn't be walking really far. So let's, let's say that maybe a kilometer. That's, a, that's about the length that you should walk. So that became known as a Sabbath day's walk, the amount of distance a person could walk on the Sabbath. Or we probably shouldn't have people out there, you know, work in the fields and, and harvesting. So let's, let's go ahead and say that that's work. Or you shouldn't be carrying burdens on your back, right? Because a burden is something that, you know, that, that constitutes work. Well, but what constitutes a burden? Well, now we have more conversation, more dialogue. And they came up with a couple of things. And there's a ton of little details, but here's a couple of them. They decided, through haggling, that a Jew could carry around enough ink to write two Hebrew letters. Any more than that would be con con considered a burden. Or a Jew could carry around just enough milk for one swallow. Any more than that would be considered a burden. And we laugh at this and we go, my gosh, these guys have no clue. But the reality is they were passionate about helping people not break the law. They were passionate about protecting Israel so that they could honor God and almost force his hand to send the Messiah. That's what was going on for them. That's why they were so legal-minded. But in the process of fixating on the letter of the law, they completely missed the heart of the law and then completely missed God's heart in it. And so then we turn with me to, math, or I'm sorry, to Mark chapter 2 for a second because because they became fixated on the letter and not at the heart of the law, Jesus, when he began to minister, he, understanding God's heart, came into tons of conflict with them. 
Not because Jesus didn't respect the Sabbath, but because he had a different understanding of what the Sabbath was about. God's heart is not about blind legalism. God's heart is about loving the lost and redemption and about freedom, freeing people from the shackles of the slavery that they find themselves naturally in. And so in Mark chapter 2, verse 23, we see Jesus having a run-in with the Pharisees, and this was one of a number of them. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples walked along, and as they walked along, they began to pick some of the heads of grain. Basically what they do, I got to do this in Israel, I thought it was kind of fun. you, You would grab a head of wheat, and then you would roll it back and forth in your hands, and what would happen is the chaff would break off, and then you just blow on it, and it leaves the kernels of wheat in your hand, and then they would pop it in their mouth like corn nuts. And they were going through the fields, having a snack. And the Pharisees are going, wait, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you allowing your disciples to break the Sabbath? Because to them, this constitutes harvesting a grain field. You are working. You're allowing your disciples to work on the Sabbath. This shouldn't happen. And Jesus answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered into the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. In other words... I mean, in our own history, David, the king that that all other kings aspire to live up to, a, a man after God's own heart, he was running for his life and he had some companions with him. They were starving. And they chose to go into the temple and eat bread that had been consecrated only for the, the leaders, the, you know, the, um, the priests to eat. He broke the letter of the law, but what it reveals is that God's heart is not about the law being arbitrary. God's heart is about life. And it is never wrong to save life. He goes on to say here in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The law was not instituted to be an arbitrary obligation. The law was instituted to protect us from ourselves who so easily bend a knee to the things that the world say is important and run red line and end up hurting ourselves. The Sabbath was put in place as a gift, not an obligation. You've missed the heart of it. And and if that wasn't enough, he goes on to say, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, the son of man is a term that comes from the prophet Daniel, referring to the Messiah, one like the son of man that he sees in a vision. And Jesus uses this title pretty often to talk about himself, the Messiah, God's anointed redeemer. And he says, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, if there's a discrepancy, who has the right to actually talk about what the right interpretation of the law is? Me. So you forget, you seem to think that the law is there as a, a blind obligation that we need to keep, as if the law is more important than the people. And what I'm telling you is that this law, this commandment was instituted as a gift. And you've missed the heart of that. And he then goes, you know, as we keep reading in Mark into chapter 3, he has another run-in that highlights this even more about the discrepancy between the Jews' perspective of this commandment and his perspective. Another time Jesus, this is verse 1 of chapter 3, another time Jesus went into the synagogue, the place of Jewish worship, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, some of the people, the Pharisees, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everybody. Now, I want you to notice 
None of the Pharisees asked a question. And this man never asked to be healed. Jesus is picking a fight here. Jesus is highlighting this discrepancy about their perspective of the Sabbath. Then Jesus asked the people who were gathered around, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? To give life or to kill? Because in his mind, to see a need, to see somebody hurting and to do absolutely nothing about it when it's within your power to do something is tantamount to evil. Is tantamount 